Hey, hello. Welcome back to Tap That AZ Podcast. I'm Eric Walters, and I'm your host. Really excited to share this episode with you. But first, a couple announcements. First of all, be sure to check out our food podcast, A Taste of AZ. So we wanted to, to branch outside of just beer and explore the whole state of Arizona and its glory of food and beverage. So go check that out. A Taste of AZ. This week's guest was Merkin Vineyards. Check it out along with the rest of the things that we're doing over there at atasteofaz.com. That is atasteofaz.com. Also, don't forget about the best holiday gift in the world, which is the Arizona Beer Book. So find it at your favorite Arizona tap room. If your favorite Arizona tap room doesn't have it, let me know. You can also go to Arizona, the Arizona Beer Book.com. That is the Arizona Beer Book.com. Order the book and we'll send it right to your doorstep. So go check it out. Great gift. Great beers included in that book as well. Not in the book pictures of them and then you go buy them and you can drink it while you read it i don't care what you do just read responsibly (laughs) Uh, so all right let's get into this one so about a month or so ago raj from oak park brewing company in sacramento reached out and was basically like dude you got to hear the story of ted mack and people's beer so i looked into it and immediately was like hell yeah let's do this so along with raj and his brew teammate jeff we're joined in this episode by ted mack jr so ted mack jr is the son of ted mack who was the first black brewery owner in the United States. This dude's a badass. Ted Mack was a badass. And Ted Mack Jr. is a badass as well. One of the most captivating people I've ever been in the presence of and just really, really proud to share this episode. And let's get into it. Let's tap into People's Beer. All right, so today we're here to talk about People's Beer right here beautiful can i can't wait to crack it open to to see what uh what you guys created here but this is the original recipe recipe from the first black owned brewery in america wow this is this is awesome man i can't wait to tell this story so uh ted you want to introduce yourself first uh yes my name is ted mack the second my father um was their uh black owner last not last year 50 years ago with people's beer and uh, he was a civil rights uh, leader who decided to make a change because he understood that, um, you know, we can have the vote, but you have no real economic power until you own something. And his whole ideal back then was if we own something, then we have a seat at the table. And that's what he was trying to do way back then. And systemic racism had another uh, idea. Yeah. Gotcha. And we're going to dig deep into that because I've been I've been reading, reading into your dad and the dude was a badass, man. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we dive deep into that, though, uh, Raj, you want to introduce yourself, you and Jeff? Hey, what's up, guys? My name's Raj. I'm one of the uh, brewers at Oak Park Brewing Company in Sacramento, California. And this is and I'm Jeff. Jeff, one of the brewers <laughs> at Oak Park Brewing Company. <laughs> so, yeah, what's Excellent. up, world? Raj, thanks for reaching out to me on this, man. This is, uh, as soon as I got it, I, I was, I was looking, I'm like, dude, this is, this is awesome. So I, I appreciate you guys reaching out to me. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise, yeah, man, thank for you. responding yeah. and giving us this opportunity. So definitely yeah. see you as well. <laughs> thank you. Well, well, let's dig in. So, uh, where, where did this all, all start Ted with, with your dad? Where was, where's he from? Uh, my father is originally from Prattville, Alabama. 
he grew up, uh, his, his mother's mother was a slave. And um, he grew up picking cotton. And the events that happened to him in Alabama is what dictated what his life would be. Uh, he told me that one time, that one of the big things that happened to him, he was plowing the field with a mule in front of him, walking behind the mule. And uh, some white guys in the truck stopped on the side of the road and yelled at him, said, nigga, don't you know that you supposed to ride a mule, not walk behind it. And he saw this as an insult and he said, I'm not gonna be doing this. And then he told me of another story when he uh, was a young lad and he went into a store, the country store. And um, this sto store owner, which was white, had a son about my father's age and they knew each other. And um, the father said to my, my father that, hey, from now on, you got to call my son, sir. Whenever you need anything, you say, sir. And my father's like, he's the same age as I am. And he, my father's response was, I'm not going to do that. And he basically said that, you know, oh, you one of them smart A niggas. And he says, so I'm going to tell you, you're going to be just like the rest of you niggas. You're going to be um, drunk and dead by 40 with a bottle in your hand. And my father said, that will not be me. And that was his life determination to never let that be his story. And so he, uh, when he finished high school, he was in Alabama and he said, you know what? I should get the right kind of education like the white kids get. So he went to the University of Alabama University of Alabama bought up his um, his application and threw it in the trash. Not to be deterred, kind of brother my father was, kind of man he was, he went to Auburn University. They treated him the same way. But a couple of weeks later, in the mail he received from the U.S. Army a thank you for volunteering for the army. So they basically volunteered my father, hoping that hopefully he'd get killed in there. But instead, my father made a difference. Even when he was in the army, uh, he, he noticed that they went to war. The black soldiers were sent to war. They fought in battles and all that. Okay, they came back. And then the white soldiers who just went through basic training it's Christmas time, they get leave and they get to do all these things and the black soldiers had to stay and clean up after them. And my father said, this is wrong. And he got fed up, my father. And he told the gentleman that he, they, they were arguing and then a general came by. What are you guys arguing about? And he pulled the white officer aside and there was no argument. He told him what he was feeling this black guy was saying. And he, my father said, the general started pointing at him. And then after that, the black officers got their leave that they weren't gotten before because my father stood up for him. So then my father understood. He, they told him that because he played football in high school. They said, you know what? We have a football team. 
He joined the football team playing with NF professional players from the NFL. Uh, and he did quite well. And they told him that, you know, you have an opportunity now because up north, those northern colleges will give you a scholarship. My father said, what? And he said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that when it's, once I get out because I promised my mother I would get an education. So um, when his discharge date came, he let him know that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, go for my discharge and all that. And the commander said, nah, we see your leadership skills. We are going to send you to officer school. They like, no, you're not. you're like yeah we not signing those papers so my father in his mind you tricked your system tricked me to get me in here got my hand burnt in war from a flamethrower and now you're trying to trick me to leave these men in this deceptive kind of situation my father said okay so he waited for his uh, date of his discharge and he knew that these northern colleges we're going to give scholarships. So he sent his tapes up there to uh, Michigan and Ohio. Accepted at both. But he chose Ohio State because of um, his family living there. Okay. And um, so he played for Woody Hayes. He, uh, but but uh, he made the decision on his day that he was discharged. He said, well, they said I can't go, but... Father being who he was, we called him the wild bull. And yeah. in football, they called him the wild bull from Midway because that's how he played. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so on that day, dad said he hopped on the train, packed all his stuff, hopped on the train, and boom, I'm in Ohio. A yeah. couple weeks later, his discharge papers came. So my father was all about doing the right thing, but he if you come at him, he's going to come back at you. Yeah. And, and for the rest of his life, we called him the wild bull. Um, so he, uh, his brother ended up dying in an accident, industrial accident. He was, uh, they were building uh, smokestacks. And his brother stepped, stepped on a plywood, rotten plywood plank and fell to his death. And his other brother, who was there, grabbed for him, but he reached back his arms like this, and as he went down, he just waved at him goodbye to his death. And so my father ended up quitting school at that time, went back to be with the family. And when the family was healed of that emotional pain and they, uh, my father reapplied for college and ended up going to Marquette University in Wisconsin. And he played on their last football team that they ever had there. Okay. And uh, my father uh, ended up getting his degree in social work. Uh, but I, I'm going to tell you a story that, uh, you know, this defines what kind of man my father is. He's a thinker. And because he was the kind of leader that they, they even Marquette saw it in him, a professor came up to him and said, you have to be in my class. And my father said, that class you're talking about is closed every time that we have enrollment. It's always closed. Nobody can get in it, except those who get in it. He said, well, you be there tomorrow at a certain time. And my father went, and the professor was there. And the class was closed, like my father said. He said, I told you. And he said, oh, let Mr. Mackey and somebody dropped out and then closed it after him. 
So my father got in the class. It was on critical thinking. So the first day of class, he looked around and he noticed something. That all the wealthy kids, all the politically um, connected kids, they were in the class. It was the cream of the crop. Now these were the power brokers of the future. And they were told by their parents and everybody else, whoever got them in the classes, you have to take this class. And so the professor walks in and asks a question. He says, um, now, who discovered America? And everybody's like, oh man, please, really? I'm gonna use, this is the real big class we're supposed to take and you ask me about Christopher Columbus, please. So they start dropping down facts about Christopher Columbus and all that. And that's not really what the professor wanted to know. He wanted to let them understand the truth. He said, now you are supposed to be the smartest of the smart and the best of the best, the leaders of the future. And you just spit back to me the propaganda of the conquerors. That's not truth because people were already here. Other cultures have already came over here before we, for the white culture, the European culture we got over here. So don't believe the hype. You got to understand this. That's why you're in this class. This is critical thinking. We're te teaching you to think, not to think like the propaganda we put out to lead the masses, but to think for yourself because you're supposed to be leading the masses. And so then they understood why they were in the class. And so it eventually got to a point, my dad told me that, listen, this is more than 50 years ago, okay? My dad was in college, this made seven years ago. But as, if you know, when I get done with this, you'll understand what's going on in this country. The professor said, America is basically a good country with good people that has some religious morals to them, kind of sort. And he says, but because of that, they're a little too independent for those who want to be in control. He said, this is what the powers to be are going to do in your future. He said, there's going to be, um, they're going to control it because they have to get you away from right and wrong. Your faith is about right and wrong. We got to get you away from that. We got to get you to believe something else in America. Not God's truth of right and wrong, but man's manipulation of what right and wrong is going to be. And um, he wrote two letters up on the board. One was a C and one was an L. And dad said, he said, these two words are going to control how people think in America. That's our plan. The first word was conservative. The second word was liberal. See, when I wrote my, in my book about this, and I wrote uh, about my father, I wrote, I call it, it's called Man Unafraid, Reflections of My Father. I wrote that, you know what? America is going from right and wrong and going to the tribalism of me and you. Our side, their side. Has nothing to do with right and wrong. Look at this election. Has nothing to do with right and wrong. Yeah. It's our side, your side. Absolutely. Don't say, yeah. hey, you lost, and usually when you lose, you concede, and then, you know, we try to do it to keep 
the America what it is. But because we got somebody in there that's so caught up into this tribalism, that that is what's controlling us today. So my father knew this, and he, this was uh, his. This was his professor that it, it had kind of yeah. laid this out for the yeah. class. Yeah. yeah, and so he would teach us yeah. as we grew up always to think for ourselves, to think outside the box. Uh, our entertainment was not looking at TV, looking at like we look. He called it the idiot box. <laughs> what he would do when we looked at TV, the whole family would be looking at PBS. And when we're looking at PBS news, we're having these political arguments, trying to find out the truth. And then when, if we would happen to look at uh, news network news, he, he would show how that's propaganda. And so when you look at true news today, and then look at the entertainment, I call it entertainment news. It's not news anymore, it's yeah. entertainment. And it's yeah. propaganda, especially Fox. It's propaganda. It's telling you what your truth is which is a lie. Yeah. And when people massively believe that they can have us fighting each other, which they are, and this for a reason, so they can control the country so you don't know what's going on. I can give a trillion dollars to my friends and because I have you fighting each other, you don't know what's going on. My dad taught me always to think. So yeah. then he went from college and he got his degree in social work. And he went to um, Milwaukee County to become a social worker. He found out that they hire people, the top three in their class. They you take this test, and the top three that pass the test are gonna get hired. Well, my father studied, and of course he was one of the top three. Yeah, you know, so he got hired, and he was good at what he does. They they gave him one of the worst uh, cases uh, that uh, was in the city. A hundred of the worst guys. Okay, people. Period. Uh, and they thought that he was going to truly fail. They were trying to overload him, like trying, yeah. trying to, yeah. Yeah, give him the worst of the worst and watch, he'd be gone in a week. Yeah. They laughed, and like, but my father got his grind on. He tried to get the people come in. They wouldn't come in. He'd knock on the doors. They wouldn't answer, okay? So my father said, okay, I'm a thinking man. Let me figure out, you know, and he told me, and I, what I tell my sons is that a man is about solutions. You have to find solutions in life. There are problems there. Don't dwell on the problem. Dwell on the solution. Yeah. Because the problem is going to remain there until you find the solution. And so his solution was this. Every one of those people get a check at the end of the month. And he had authority to hold that check up. <laughs> yeah. So he held the check up. And on that next day, guess who was all in the office? All 100. Max people. All 100. Yeah, yeah all 100. Cussing, <laughs> hollering, fussing. Where's Ted Mack? Where's Ted Mack? Yeah, yeah. They were in there from 9 o'clock when the doors opened to when my dad came out. My dad didn't come out of his office. He said, I let him sit there all day. I came out at uh, 4.45, <laughs> 15 minutes before we supposed to close. And then he said, now, listen, I'm supposed to help you. I'm in this thing to help you, but you playing games with me. I had to let you know I'm not the one that you play games with. Yeah. You want your checks? When I knock on your door, you open it. You want your checks? When you set up an appointment in my office, you be there. Don't be there, don't get paid. Your yeah. Boom. Yeah. Everybody all of a sudden saw Ted Mack 
everybody all of a sudden came to their appointments. And, you know, he was doing what he needed to do. And my father's whole premise, he was even getting in arguments when he got his master's. Uh, he used to get in arguments because with a professor, and he said, listen, we're not trying to keep, I'm not, I don't believe in bringing these people to keep them in welfare. I believe in giving them a helping hand to help them out. You believe to feel sorry for them and keep them in this mess, so you create an even bigger mess. And they had his arguments and all this. So uh, my father did this. With his people, he would try to give them jobs. He would try all this stuff. There was a one time, uh, this this one uh, guy, he got in the house. and No, he wouldn't let him in the house. And he's a big, big black guy, big black guy, heavyweight, heavy set, you know. And he was cussing that dad and all this. And my dad, he don't pretty much fear anybody. So he wasn't scared of this guy because he said, son, I used to wrestle a I used to wrestle, what did he say? I wrestled pigs. I wrestled cows. It wasn't nothing for me to take down a man in football. He said, so I wasn't scared of this big guy because I knew I'll handle you like a sack of beans and you be through. <laughs> so uh, the guy was whooping and everything. And he picked, he came out with a baseball bat. Don't you come to my house and all that. And dad said, man, you listen here. And he, he had this booming, you think I have a booming voice. His was like, oh my goodness. It was like when I heard him speak, it was like something in the movie. Like, boom, he had this deep voice. And like it was thunder. Like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what. He yeah. put that thunder on you, he put that wild bull on you. It's over. And you'll be kind of shaking in your boots. I don't care who you are. So uh, the guy had a baseball bat, right? Dad didn't have nothing. And dad told him, man, you swing that back. I'm going to take it from you and beat you down with it. And the guy tried to swing it, and dad took the bat. And his, his girlfriend or wife started screaming, don't kill him, don't kill him, don't kill him. And my dad was like, man, I should beat your... <laughs> he said, but I'm not because you ain't worth it. And the dude just started crying. And the wife said he just lost his job. He can't get another one. And he's so depressed and he's been through all this. And then my father handed him the bat back. You know, he said, I talked with the brother. I said, yo, I'm your social worker. And that means I'm here to help you. Not only did he help that man find a job, but he helped his woman find a job. And they got off of welfare. That's what kind of man he was. Seems like he was what? way ahead of his time in many oh, in yeah. many different yeah. areas. Like and, you're talking about so, critical thinking and yeah. like we need more of that in school now. And this is uh, 70 years later, you know? Yeah, that's that's why right now all my kids are in college, right? Yeah. My boys speaking uh French, both of them speak French. When they come home from college. They speak French and they they not speaking English. We don't even know what they're saying. Right? I said just to talk trash about you, yeah. so they don't know. Yeah, yeah probably, probably. <laughs> but then one of them, he speaks Chinese because he says the team that I'm going to build, Dad, is going to be an international team. So I have to learn the language and I have to learn the culture. I said, dude, you know, because I always told him like my dad, think around the box. Yeah. 
around the corner. Think outside the box and around the corner. But anyway, uh, dad um, ended up training all these people. Every time they had these white uh, counselors come in, or social workers, dad would train them. And then they would promote them over dad. They did that a few times, he got sick of it. He said, you do it again, I'm out that door. They did it again, and he was out that door. But basically, that kind of blackballed him in Milwaukee, and he couldn't really find a job. So he ended up going to A.O. Smith, which was um, uh, autom automotive manufacturer building uh, automobile frames. And he went on the, on the manufacturing line with a lot of the people that, now he was a civil rights leader too, okay? During this time, like so the, yeah, yeah. this time, he, yeah. During all this time, he led, he was actually head over the organization core uh, that led the March on Washington. And uh, so he organized it and got the security and did everything, got the buses and everything they need to do to get to Washington. Uh, he also was uh, part of C.L. Lewis team with the Northern Leadership Conference. We heard of the Southern Leadership Conference because of Martin Luther King, but there was a Northern one. And my father was one of the lieutenants of that. So he was a man involved with a lot of things. Uh, so he's on the line and uh, a lot of those guys knew who he was and they said, oh man, hey, here's the college educated civil rights guy and he's on the line with us and they laughing at him and all that, but he said, I got to take care of my family. So he was handling it. Come home one day and there's a white man waiting for him at his door. And the guy introduced himself as James. He said, hey, I'm Jim. Jim Wyndham, James, and uh, they said, uh, yeah, and I, he said, and he said, Mr. Mack, I know who you are, and his dad was like, and I know who you are, you the, he said, yeah, I am the president and CEO of Paps Blue Ribbon, and this was a time after uh, Martin Luther King got killed, after Martin Luther King got killed, there were these riots, okay, not riots like you guys experience right now. You think these are riots. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There was a little burning going on and all that. But I saw tanks coming down the streets. That's what kind of riots we had back in the day. That's when they started talking about burn, baby, burn. Okay. Yeah. And that's when fear was really in the streets and in the nation. But... um. My father got on TV and he said, one of the things I, I try to let my people know is that this. He said, you know what? Our anger is at the white man because of what happened to King. But we're burning up our stores in our neighborhoods. But when we get hungry, we're going to their stores in their neighborhoods and spending our money. What sense does that make? He said, we need to stop and to start calming down. Well, here is the uh, chairman of, of the board of Pastor Ribbon there because they decided to make a change. At this point, sorry yeah. to interrupt here, Ted, but is at this point, uh, Paps is, is nationwide at this point, right? Yeah. It is, yeah. Paps so it's is nationwide, it's a big, yeah. big organization, and there's just no blacks 
that was there. You yeah. know, and that was his reason for coming to get dad because he wanted to give dad a tour of the uh, plant. And he asked my father, basically, you know, did uh, how many blacks you see? My father said, well, less than I see on one hand, less than the fingers on one hand. Is that right? My father said, H, no. And um, he says, I want you to do something about it. And my father said, only way I would do that is if I only report to you. And then he agreed to it, and that's what happened. And Dad uh, did an awesome job in the management. He made sure things happened. Um, he ended up hiring 300 men, black and white, but mostly black, because he said, I'm not going to do to others what they did to us. Huh. And yeah. so it was about, and he had that kind of heart, even after all that you know what happened with people's beer. He still loved people. He loved being up in Oshkosh, even after what happened, even after a bullet was shot through our house, even after all this stuff, you know. My father believed in people, but my father wouldn't take no stuff from nobody. He learned that from his mama when the Klan and the police were coming to get his brother and she was out there on the porch with a shotgun and dad. He saw his mama stand up to the clan of the police. And they, she said, you're not gonna come take my son. And they're like, man, you know, yeah, they call her by her first name. You know, we just, he, 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 he broke the law. He shot somebody, he shot somebody or whatever he did, beat somebody up. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a white guy. So uh, they were gonna hang him. And she said, well, why did you bring all these cars? It don't take all these cars to arrest one person. So they had a standoff and eventually all the cars left and the, and then the sheriff promised that he'd be the only one taking them and that's what happened. But, you know, my- Well, father, I mean, everything would pale in comparison, right? If Dude, I saw my mom like head off a group of people, you know, a one-on-one situation is, you know, it, maybe yeah. that's where his lack of fear, you know, that yeah. fearlessness yeah. came from. Yeah. Like, yeah, dude, yeah. yeah. He's like, he's like, I seen her do it, and she was the head of household. Yeah. Uh, when a professor was doing some research on my father, he said he did research of all the community in Prattville during that time, and he said the Mac family actually stayed in the same land that they were slaves in. And she was head of household. She wanted to make sure that all her kids made something out of themselves. And they did. And it keeps going, right? That, that Now that's trickling down to you and your yeah. kids. And, and eventually. And it's an it's, it's yeah. expectation I have for my kids. Uh, yeah. Because I've taught them what my father taught me. That you are somebody. He made me proud to be Mac and proud to be black. See, we even when he ended up going to Oshkosh after all this, he was going to buy a, a portion of Paps. There was an antitrust, and then they were going to sell blacks, okay, blacks beer. And my father was a manager, so he had the inside information. He talked to all the white secretaries, get all the information he needed, and he wrote a ended up writing a nine million dollar proposal to buy uh, at auction to buy uh, black packs, or which one, blacks, 
blacks and like that brand yeah, like that yeah, specific that. Yeah. yeah yeah and so um basically when they had the auction everybody bid and then this black group of guys come in united black enterprises and they bid nine million dollars which was unheard of back then from coming from some black guys and they won the bid over your dad no, no, this was my dad. Oh, the, okay, okay, I see what you're saying. I yeah. thought there was another guy. Was, yeah, was no, another, no, no, no. Okay. This gotcha. was my dad. Yeah. And so they were so shocked, they had uh, G. Heineman rebid it at 10.8. And my father said in his book, they didn't have no money. He knew. He knew yeah. what they had. <laughs> he knew what they had. He said yeah. they didn't have the money. Yeah. Only way that could happen is uh, Pat's Blue Ribbon had a front of and, and that's what they did mm. and worked out the deal. And uh, my father was angry and all that, but he was never one to give up. And so that's how he got to the place of uh, Oshkosh because somebody came to him with a deal for the small brewery in Oshkosh. And my father asked the guy, is there any blacks there? And of course they weren't. And uh, he said, man, I got family, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about going up there with where meaning the, no black population, no, so, no black population. Yeah. They yeah. had, they had a college up there that had a couple of black students yeah. and then uh, a black professor came up there uh, and we we're back basically the only two black families in the city, you know, the professor and the max, you yeah. know, and uh, that was Dr. Paul Edmonds and his son, Keith Edmonds, is a friend of mine today. And it was uh, when I was in growing up in school, going up in school from elementary, not elementary, middle school to high school. Um, it was myself, Keith Edmonds and Wilbert Hooten were the only blacks that were in, a, in my school at the time. Yeah. So, um, you know, my father made a determination that when he, he uh, brought uh, the brewery that, uh, and, and that wasn't an easy task, you know. Of buying that brewery. Oh man, that, because, yeah. because the $9 million deal was gone because that situation was gone. You didn't yeah. have that back. And so he went to the SBA, you know, Small Business Administration. And they, they just started the set aside programs, if you remember those. Set aside program was really to give people an opportunity, another chance. And then what happened is the think tanks on the right said, well, only way we're gonna fight this set aside program is we gotta make it illegal. Hmm. And so um, we gotta say that they doing reverse discrimination, okay? And that's what they said. They said, okay, well, this young kid couldn't go to school because the black kid had a set aside and he went to school. Hmm. And that, that, that worked for America. Oh, we're going to be fair now. Oh, now you're going to be fair. After yeah. 400 years of enslaving us, after, um, you know, after slavery, still enslaving us, having us work in the coal mines for U.S. Steel, uh, to the 1940s, we can be standing on the corner and they just they just uh, arrest you for slaughtering and then give you a fee that you could not pay. And then they leave you in there 
working in the coal mines for U.S. Steel until they die. But did America care? No. Did America say they free us? Yeah, they told another lie. They lied to the Indians. They lied to us. <laughs> so what? This president right now is lying that he won. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and then they yeah. wonder why we don't believe what you say. <laughs> mm-hmm. But think for yourself, right? It comes back to that critical thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I believe, like my father believed, I believe in the community of people that have yeah. a good heart. Yeah. And um, when my father went to Oshkosh, after he got the brewery, at least got, uh, he had to come up with 50%, not 20%, not 10%. He had to come up with 50% on the loan, which was crazy. Wow. But he did it. Yeah. And he did it with the backing of people. And it, he knew in Milwaukee he was going to get the blacks to buy the, uh, the stock. But he didn't know what was going to happen in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which was white. Mm-hmm. Which is where it was going to be located. Yes. Yeah. And, so, uh, what's the difference in how far away is Oshkosh from, is it a suburb of Milwaukee? No, it's about 90 miles away. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, about 90 miles away. And um, what was amazing about it when my father went there, there was big support because people loved the beer. It was a good beer. Uh, it was rated very highly uh, because when they were calling the black beer and it was bad, beer and all that. My father went to one of the top rating agencies in the United States to have it beer rated. And they said it was one of the best beers in the United States, period. Yeah. Compete with all of them. But because he didn't have the marketing and all that to get it done, uh, what, what I'm enjoying about right now in the relaunch of People's Beer is that if you look over, you look at Raj and Jeff, that's what my father fought for. You see? And that's, that's called family. That's called loving each other, you know, treating each other like a man. Because uh, one of the things that they said back in the day is, I am a man. And then today you hear black lives matter. That is only because they looked at a black person as a commodity or animal. Even in the US constitution that they said, a judge would say, oh, we, we want to go back to the Constitution I was originally written and all that. Well, in the original one, we were three-fourths of a person. We weren't even a man. Yeah. And why would we want to go back to that? I'm not. No. no. You know. But we helped build this country. My father knew that. He always used to say, we're not looking for an advantage over you. We just want you to keep your word. Yeah. And I wrote in a book that I wrote about my father, Men Unafraid, Reflections of My Father. You know what? We just want you to keep what's written in your creed rather than what we see in your greed. Mm. Yeah. And that's why your slavery and all that was about capitalism and greed. Greed of kingdoms to greed of countries. If you look at the triangle, the slave triangle, you had textiles and guns and stuff going to Africa, 
Africa slaves going to the Americas to empower their economies. From America, sugar and coffee and all that going to Europe, making economies great, making America great. We did that for 400 years. Mm -hmm. But one thing I'm writing, I'm writing a book right now. It's about empowering um, the kings, black mentorship. And I, I know before you can go forth in your, you gotta know your past. So I dig deep into the past and I've been digging deep into the past. And one of the things that I found out when I was researching uh, all of this and uh, how America came, became the economic juggernaut that it was, it all started from us. And when you look at what happened in Germany and what happened to the Jews, it all started from us. I tell people to look at the Berlin Conference when they decided to split up Africa. When the European countries said, hey, that, let's split up that wealth. And they made sure when they made them African states that they split up the homelands of the Africans for one reason. Because if they have us fight each other, same thing that they're doing here with the conservatives and the liberals. If they have us fight each other, we can't. It's divide and conquer. Sure. Yeah. And that's how they did it. Right here, they're doing the same thing, divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. They just got a couple trillion dollar paycheck to the wealthy during Trump's years. And most people don't even know it. They don't even realize it because they're so busy looking at each other. And then they're going to yeah. vote for him like he was for them. And he's the one that really, he called our soldiers suckers, but the real suckers are the ones that he fooled. And he, he said, you look at history, he said it out of his own mouth when they asked him years ago, who, if you were going to run off for office, which, um, which political side would you run for, the Republicans or the Democrats? You know what Trump said? Oh, the Republicans, they're the stupidest. I, I remember that, yeah. He said, because they believe whatever you say. They believe all that stuff on Fox News. He knows propaganda. Because every time an article came up for raping a woman or doing whatever he was doing, they the rich get that stuff brought off, okay? And his buddies at all these scandal papers that make all this money will buy the story and squash it. Mm. Yep. The same thing that they now turned Fox News into a rag newspaper. That they're going to believe the hype. Now they know they're wrong. They know it's not true. But the people the uneducated, they don't know. They think that the news is still the news that they grew up with. Sure. You, yeah. post, you used to believe the news. We used to look at Dan Rather and say, hey, that dude telling the truth. We better listen. Yeah. Right. Walter Conkright. Oh, man, if he, uh, said, if he said the president dead, the president dead. Yeah. 
That was the version of the internet, right? Before the internet, go. right? <laughs> it was go. on the internet, so it's true. Yeah. 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 But yeah. now we can't believe truth is truth because we've been fooled into this conservative, this tribalism. Yeah. And tribalism don't have no truth. Okay. But my father was a man that um, lived by his faith, lived by character. He, um, he wanted to see people's beard make a difference because he wanted to make a difference for his people. All people, he would say. I, I said before in the interview that it wasn't about black people. It wasn't about white people. People's beard is just that. It's about the people. It's about us. And until we can learn to forgive us and love us, then we're never going to win with us. And we still, because in this America, the seed of hate started this country. And if you look at what happened to Jews, what happened during their Holocaust? Germany said, we're sorry, and they did something about it. They paid reparations. They paid the money to prove that they meant it. Okay? And they put laws up so it wouldn't happen again. Every time America started moving that direction, they try to pull up the think tanks think of a way to flip the script because they got you so caught up in this racial thing. You want to know how, how this thing is continuous cycle in the United States? They think of Nixon. Nixon said, let's make America what? Great again. Who, where do you think Trump got it? That's not an original ideal. That was the ideal of his idol. His best friend, who was a thug himself. Who does he have tattooed on his back? Stone. Tricky dick. <laughs> and that's what they've been doing in this country. Because, but because we can't see as a country, because we're not critical thinkers as a country, we believe the lie as the truth. My daddy taught me different. So I've been blessed to be with Oak Park. I didn't know we were going to go on this stage. I'm all offline, guys. And my I, Ted, no, this, this, is, this is good. This is great, man. This, this, this is the, the story of people's beer. And that, that, is, that is the story of people's beer, man. So, no, nah, dude, I, it's. Man, I, they, yeah. I was supposed to keep it all, you know, G-rated and everything, you know. I was, that, was, that was very G-rated. That was, you know, uh, that was but, good. Uh, Maybe not G, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't quite, you know. Man. I'm a deacon at church, too. I got to watch myself. But, but you know, I, I will say this, that I'm so proud that I was able to be blessed to meet uh, Kevin Johnson with this. Um, we both, God touched both our hearts about my father. And um, I started writing a book and he um, brought a brewery. And um, we came together. He found me, I didn't find him. And it was a God thing, as I say, tell often. I believe in God. My father believed in God. We're spiritual people. And um, I was up praying, and I was told that I had to finish these books and all these things I was done, doing by July 4th, which I obeyed, and I got it done. And on July 6th, 
on Facebook, I got a message from Nicole West, who is the assistant of uh, Kevin Johnson. And of course, at that time, I didn't answer it right away because it was some strange woman. <laughs> you know, I'm a married man and, and my, my boo don't play, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be one of them brothers to get that hot water in your face, you know? Yeah. You know, so uh, what, what I did was let her know that this Nicole West was trying to uh, contact me and she said, well, answer, you know, and I found out who it was and we had a, we ended up having a conversation. And um, uh, one of the things that my father always taught me is, you know, when we used to look at football, cause he would work, he would work, man. That dude was a worker. We'd be watching football and stuff. Sometimes he came and watched with us, but a lot of times dad's going out, doing another meet, going to do something else. You know, he's a worker and uh, CEO, he had to be. But uh, he said, man, that's an idiot box. He said, man, them dudes right there, they getting paid. They getting paid real good. He said, you're not getting paid to sit there and watch them. What you're doing is actually watching that for, they want the, the, the powers to be want you to watch that game, not for the game, but for the commercials. Mm. He said, because when you watch those commercials, it's going to mess with your mind. And then you're going to be uh, saying that that is the best cereal. Oh, that is the best. I want some of that cereal. I want this and I want that. Everything you see is what you want. It wasn't all that other stuff was just a distraction. The reality was it was all marketing. You didn't yeah. even know it. And we as blacks are the biggest corporate uh, 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 biggest victims in that game plan because when we see it, we go buy it. And we spend more money outside our community than we do inside our community. And then when I mentor young men, I always take them and show them Black Wall Street. The reason I show them Black Wall Street is because that was the only the one of the only places wasn't the only one. I'm writing another book after this one that will tell you what really happened. How many books uh, you got it, planned, Ted? How many? Man, how many? Are, I man? have. <laughs> hey, I have a long list of them. As long as God <laughs> had me alive, I'm gonna keep writing. Awesome, man. Awesome. And, and but uh, the thing is that with Black Wall Street, our money flips so many times. It flipped in that if you know what the story of Black Wall Street is this is in Oklahoma, okay? When they talk about the trail of tears that the enemy went through and they died and they were forced to walk this long way out west and all that, you know? Well, what not known is blacks, a lot of black slaves, ex-slaves free, not free slaves, escaped slaves went with them. And a lot of them ended up in Oklahoma, right over Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is called Riverwood. That was Black Wall Street, right over it, because they couldn't, uh, they had all this going on, but they they couldn't, they started building houses. There was a black guy that was an advisor of a president, 
And the president, when they were giving away the land, gave him some land. And that land was Black Wall Street. And he started it. He said, I'm going to, you know, start building houses, let Lao and Blacks to own property. And it was the only place in mostly America that Blacks owned the property. It was there. And it got so successful simply because Blacks were trading with Blacks and kept their money in their system before it went out. So they had Black sure. banks. They had Black everything. They had libraries. They had bus system. They had the only planes. They had Black millionaires, doctors, and everything. They had the only planes in the state. And when the Klan saw that, they didn't like that because it didn't fit the narrative that they were trying to say. So then they did the same game that it that is the same ploy they did all over the nation. Is oh, he looked at a white girl and you know, oh, oh, he, you know, Emmett Till, he whistled at a white girl, so we gonna kill him. Oh, he said something to a white girl, we gonna kill him. That's what they always said, you know. And so that's what they did there. But see, you had a couple of blacks there that came from the army, so they gonna try to defend themselves, but it wasn't no, they called it a race riot. That's what they always call it when they wipe you out. It's a race riot. But uh, they say 300 were wiped out in that. It was much more than that. They, they burned the city. They hanged people. They shot people. They went in their homes. And they didn't just burn the city down. They went in and took all those fine artifacts and all those fine furniture and all that stuff that Blacks owned because they earned it. Because they were yeah. rich. And so then... When that happens, we see nothing happen. We get no justice. Mm -hmm. And we supposed to just what? Forgive. And we've been forgiven for 400 years. We get tired of forgiving, but we still forgive. But it's time for America to acknowledge what they did. And it's time for them to acknowledge it also by paying like they paid the Jews. More blacks died in, um, in slavery than Jews died in that war. Yeah. If you want to know the truth, look at Congo. When uh, King Louisville took over the Congo, they say between two and 20 million in one country died. We don't hear about that. No. no apologies for that. He, you know how he used to force people to get the rubber because the rubber was a new gold at the time. You know how he forced the people to get more production? They enslaved the whole country. Mm. They used to cut off their hands. They have pictures of people going around with no hands. Yeah. And how did they in the United States to take their land. What did they do to the Indians? Yeah. We talk about weapons of mass destruction that they lied about in Iraq. They did it right here in the United States. They send disease blankets and all that. More Indians died from European diseases in them blankets than died in, from bullets from the white soldiers. Mm. But yeah. they called which one the savages? 
You know what I'm saying? Yep. But you know, you we talk to me, you're gonna get some knowledge, man. I'm, I'm, off, I'm off track here, man. I'm off well, track. Y'all got y'all got me in my, my book mode now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're here for people's beer. People's yeah, beer. Man. People's beer right here. Well, my daddy right back there. Okay. Yep, yep. He uh well, I tell you what, let uh Raj and Jeff tell a bit of story. How did Oak Park get involved? Yeah, let's let's go with that. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to follow Mr. Mac up. I learn something every time I listen to him, and he continually opens my mind. So I'm all kind of in a daze right now from listening to him. Um, Okay, so Oak Park Brewing Company, we opened about a year and a half ago. Um, It was uh, the second iteration of Oak Park Brewing Company. The old company went out of business probably about three years ago now. They were open for four years. And then a new group of owners got together. One of them was Mr. Kevin Johnson. Um, my sister is one of them. And another gentleman named Dana Huey is the third owner. And um, it's in the suburb of Sacramento called Oak Park. It's in a little neighborhood um, just to the east of downtown Sacramento. And it's the neighborhood Kevin Johnson grew up in. And it's his home. And he's been very supportive of the Oak Park community and trying to better the lives of the people that live in this neighborhood. And he wanted Oak Park Brewing Company to represent that and to be a part of that community. And that's something we strive for here as a brewery is to be an inclusive brewery, um, focus on community collaboration and education. And we, the people's beer is part of that because we get to tell the story that no one's heard of before very few people have heard of before Raj actually did some research on it and found out prior to working at Oak Park about it and he can tell you a little bit about that and um, but we're just happy to be part of the people's um, beer brand and pushing that message out to the world to help you know spread the story Raj, so you, you you've been you just, he wasn't ready for that. Come on, Raj. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I was enthralled by his, his verbiage. I'm gonna open this beer now. Yeah, Raj, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I've seen you on camera, man. You're good. You're good. So uh, he, good. he just caught you off guard. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, cheers, Mr. Mac, Ted Mac Senior, People's Beer Brewing. Cheers, yeah. guys. So this is a oh man, that's good. That tastes that tastes like a Wisconsin beer right there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. So it's a lager with cluster hops and American lager yeast. Man, this is a this is a crusher. You can you can have a few of these, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's um it's a big four point seven percent light American lager. Um, Mr. Mack was able to track down the recipe that was used at the time his father worked at the brewery and own the brewery and the recipe actually predated that right mr mac about 100 years ago when they opened um so it's a very traditional lager recipe um we do use some corn adjuncts in it and um just one bittering hop that's it no flavor hops no aroma hops it's just straight bitterness and it's very light bitterness and um it is a very traditional american german style lager so yeah very good, man. Very good. This is, uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, Ted, I don't know if you ever had the original beer, uh, but uh, if it was like this, it makes sense why it was uh, <laughs> it was so popular. Uh, I, I did have it, and yeah. uh, uh, that's why I don't drink today. 
<laughs> so those cans are decoration only at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I did. I actually, when I went to the 50th anniversary, I did have a little bit, and it was good. Yeah. Uh, but I have some in my refrigerator that just been sitting there. I've been giving it to other folks, and they're like, why? Oh, man, when is it coming to here? But we're making plans, and um, I have people all over that wants people's beer, and we're going to yeah. get it to them. And it's a story that needs to be told. It's a legacy that's relaunched, and I'm very proud that I'm able to honor my father like this. And uh, yeah. to, um, you know, I, I, I tell, I mentor young people, and I say a dream is just reality waiting, waiting to happen, but you got to make it happen. Yeah. It's all about diligence, you know. You cannot give up. If you want something, you got to go get it. Yeah. And this is what I want. And I was going toward that, but I didn't know it was going to come this way. But something my wife told me when she was listening to me in one of these interviews, she said, baby, this is your time. All the hardship, all the things you've been through is so you can be prepared for this moment. So you're looking at a man that had two strokes, three head-on collisions, Trucks, I'm not supposed to be here. One crash, total front gone. I don't know how I got out of the car. I'm sitting outside the car. And I went to get my father's leather coat, who I, which I have upstairs. I call it my John Shaft leather coat. You know, I got it now. <laughs> but um, when I came to, I thought I went out. But when I came to, this coat was folded up in my lap. I'm like, wow. And there's a white guy standing next to me. And I said, man, how did I get out of there? And he said, sir, I don't know. He said, when I found you, you were sitting there with this coat folded up in your lap. And I remember throwing the coat in the back seat when I got in the car. So I'm like, how did I fold it up and do all this? Well, when I tried to get up, I screamed because my shoulder was broken. My collarbone was broken. So I wasn't folding up a coat. And I think good Lord just <laughs> took the brother out of the car, folded up the coat, sat me down. Sit know. down, sweat here. Somebody's on it, sweat their way. Wow. Yeah. And that was just one thing, though, you said, right? There was multiple. Yeah. There's been multiple. You know, and, you know, it's like one, I was in one accident and I felt, at, and I saw the truck we hitting head on. And I know I had my seatbelt on, but when it hit, I and I got hit several times because the car spun around and the truck had, I got hit by, it was pulling the trailer. So I got hit by the front and I got hit by the trailer in the back. And I'm, my car is spinning around, but I felt like I was floating. I remember saying, I'm floating. I was up, I felt like I was up in the air and the car is spinning and it got hit again, pow! But I was floating. And then all of a sudden, on the last hit, I hit down, pow! I'm in the passenger seat. No seatbelt? You didn't have a seatbelt? I had, to, I thought I had a seatbelt on. <laughs> I'm like, how did this happen? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when I if all stopped, I'm not hurt. But the force of me hitting that seat bent 
the steel frame of the seat back like this. And here you and are. I'm still here. And here you are. Tell, yep. yep. You know, and I always say it's for purpose, man. You know, I, I mentor, I, I, I write even right now. I have, even while we're doing stuff online, I, we used to have two times a week, we have like eight couples come to our house uh, about um, mentoring them in their marriages, you know. And we all, you know, deal with stuff in married life if anybody's married and, and you have to fight through the struggle. And so we, I've learned to, from my father, is that it's not about you. It's about what you do for others that matters. You know, and so when I look at people's beer and I look at and one thing about when I talked to Kevin for the first time and for several times after that, there's one thing that I do notice about the man. It's not his celebrity. Like I said before, I'm not impressed with people's celebrity. OK, that's great. You did it. You earned success. But I'm not a rah-rah person because my dad taught me. Don't don't be tripping about that. They get paid. That's what they both do. They use the talent. They get <laughs> You know, I use my talents. I should get paid too. So, um, but I look at a person's heart and I noticed he had a good heart. And when I came to Sacramento for the first time, see, you confront in front of me like you have a good heart, but I'm going to examine and find out. When I was given the tours around, oh, what they call 40 acres. That's his establishment down there where they're doing the revitalization of the whole neighborhood. It's just so great. It's awesome to see. I asked the people, well, what do you think about Kevin? What do you think about Kevin? What do you think about Kevin? Could you tell me about Kevin? Everything I got back was a good report and what he, how he's touched their life, what he has done. And so that let me know I was at the right place. And then when I came in and I saw the people, how much they loved what they were doing I said yeah this is the right place for my father's beer see it could have went anywhere okay after this got out now I got messages from other breweries hey can you do it here you know I'm like hey I already made agreements you know yeah but I'm a person of my word so I'm not just gonna go with you because you might have a better thing for me I'm gonna go with where I felt my God brought me and I'm going to stick with it. I'm a team player. I'm not stupid. I'm a team player. And I'm going to try to advance what we're doing. It's like in Wisconsin, I got a contact now. Uh, looks like stuff will be happening in Wisconsin. I'll let nice. Jeff talk about those things. But we, we want to expand it, not just throughout the United States, but throughout the world. And this was legacy. First black man to own the brewery in these United States, a civil rights giant, one who fought for the rights of others, who was stopped by systemic racism, not by himself. That even when uh, some outside influences came to try to help us, Nigerians were coming over here to look at the brewery. They were going to help people's beer. The United States of America canceled their visas. So they couldn't help. So they even had the United States helping them with this. So when you, people say that there's no systemic racism, I say you either must be white or you must be blind. Huh. 
But when you live it every day of your life, you see it. I see it happening in my life. I saw it when I was a young kid, when I was in Oshkosh. I walk in a store. They would follow me around like I'm the criminal. They would say things like, oh, he's, uh, he's going to steal something, all this. And my father taught me not to steal. My father taught me that you get what's yours out of your sweat and your brow not out of somebody else's sweat and brow. He taught me to be a protector. I remember when I first went to um, this middle school in Oshkosh. See, I come from Milwaukee. We, we were kind of a little tougher than that. <laughs> so there was this gang called the Evil Ways, and they were supposed to beat up the, the, the three blacks that were there, they picked the smallest one. They're going to beat him up on there. They want to fight him. But you have high schoolers and everything come in. And my father taught me not to be scared, fear nobody. And we won. At least Wilbur won that, that, that fight. Yeah. But whenever I was confronted with that word in up there, I took immediate action. I don't care if we were in class. I didn't care where we were. I took immediate action. Till when I got in high school, I really didn't have those kind of issues. Because they knew if you say it, you better be ready to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not going to be no, I don't care if you're in class. I don't care where you're at. I'm gonna come right at you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's needed, right? It's it's you know, needed it, it, that that but, you know. Not, all, not always, but you have to have that in there because my father. But I guess that toughness. I guess is what yeah. I'm saying is that toughness, yeah. that that tenacity yeah. of. Yeah. Have, I tell my kids, you got to have a little dog in you. Yeah. Yep. You know, to be in this world, you got to have a little dog in you. You got to be a good person. I teach them to be a good person, but you don't let nobody run over you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I tell my kids that my kids are like, you know, my kids are seven and nine and my uh -huh. daughter will say is, are, are snakes evil? Are scorpions evil? You know, cause we live in Arizona. I'm like, none of them. I said, there's only one evil creature on earth. It's humans, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. uh, you know, a dog, yeah, a dog is tough and it fights when it needs to, but, it, but yeah. it's, 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 uh, you know, so but, the one thing we're our brother's keeper, you know, and my dad used to always talk about with all his toughness and all that, he was about love. Yeah. You know, when he went to the March on Washington, he said they were expecting, because they're going to the seat of the power of the white structure, they're expecting death. That's the reason why he wouldn't let my mother come. And he said that was the worst decision he made. Not allowing my mother to come to the He didn't think he was going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I may not come back. Yeah. But the Mac family has to go on. Yeah. And you're going to be there with them. So he went. He led. And he said it was the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. He said it was such a spirit of peace that he's never seen of since that time. He said when Martin Luther King started on his speech, he said people were just like in awe. They were waiting for the words to flow. Once they started flowing, it was a different spirit over the whole crowd. He said people started crying. He even saw white officers start crying. 
And he says something has changed in the heart of America today. And that's what needs to happen right now. Something needs to change in the heart of America today. We're given another opportunity. Yes, it's coming with pain. But I told people that God wasn't going to let it keep going easy like it was going for this, this administration, current administration. That something's going to happen to shake things up. Well, we had a lot of stuff happen, right? Yeah. We had COVID. We had the racial strife. We had all this. We had economic downfall. Everything happened. And he just barely lost. I guarantee if it didn't happen, he would not have lost. God knows what he's doing. He's giving America another chance. And it always comes through pain. We have a choice to make. A choice to be that better, better us or continue to hold on to that hate in us. That hate yeah. in us would destroy us. That would just destroy Germany during that time. It was the hate in them. And that was during prosperity. When I hear people say, oh, we're, we're prosperous under Trump. Well, they're prosperous under Hitler and they were prosperous under Mussolini too. But what happened? I know my history. Come on now. Yeah. Yep. You don't learn from your past. You are doomed to repeat it. We are human beings in the human race. We need to learn from our past. So if that's not working, and it's all about control, it's all about power, it's all about control of wealth. It's not about, I care about you. You really think this president cares about you? No, he doesn't. He cares about himself. Yeah. So I would say this, Oak Park, <laughs> was there some pressure on you guys to make this beer, right? Because there's so there's so much behind it, and and I mean, like I said earlier, I'm I'm so uh, honored that you guys got me involved with this, and, and even more so of like the the like the message behind this, like the, what what this what this represents. Um, it, it's you know, the story needs to be heard for sure. But for you guys, I mean, a lot of times a beer collaboration is like, hey, dude, I'll bring some beers over. Let's do a collaboration, right? We're just like. Let's call it a cool name, like maybe this or that. But was there some some pressure on you guys to be like, shit, man, we need to nail this thing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Raj, real quick, Raj, you said, uh, Jeff said you did some research into this. Was this before um, Mr. Mack approached you or? Uh, or this, once I got into home brewing, you know, it set me on a path to uh, find out, you know, who were the black brewers. It's uh, 250 years ago, the blacks were doing everything, you know, so it was just hard for me to understand that if you were slave, when you came out of slavery, you didn't have a skill set. And that's, the, you know, that's something that was always taught in school, you know, so when I got into home brewing, I really wanted to know who were the brewers who owned the brewery, breweries, and I wanted to know, you know, and uh, there was a story that wasn't being told and uh, I just kind of, I started my mission and uh, there wasn't a lot of information, you know. So uh, once I got acclimated to the internet, uh, Mr. Max's name popped up. But outside of that, in the libraries, there was no information in any reference books. Wow. Yeah. So, so uh, 
as far as uh, it being hard to produce this beer, uh, I can speak for myself. I was fired up for it. So it was, it wasn't a challenge. I was like, we got to do this. Yeah. You know, so I can't speak for Jeff, but uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> no, I, I, I with Raj, um, there was not a lot of pressure to do it because the message is from our hearts and it's what's right and what needs to be told. Yeah. For us on the brewing side, the hardest thing pressure-wise is just it's a light American lager. And That's we gotta what I'm be saying. Our, we got to be on our A game as brewers not to yeah. mess that recipe up, right? So, you know, we definitely did our research and and, and focused and paid as, as close attention as we could. And we tried a couple different um, – methods while we brewed it to try to push it to that next level to keep it that quality where we wanted it and where we thought it was when it was tested by the Siebel Institute back in the day. So, you know, it, it's that from us was the challenging part. The message is there. It's comes from the heart and that's, that was the easy part. Right. So, yeah. 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 So, so how did you, I mean, was it, did you just find a piece of paper? Like I find my, you know, my mother-in-law's, you know, ranch bacon cheese dip, <laughs> you know, is it, <laughs> is it just, or, or did those notes from Siebel help to, to kind of, to fine tune it? Well, Mr. Mack found the recipe. So okay. he, he provided it to us and it had some pretty detailed notes about, you know, grain bill, yeast, um, and water and everything you need to know but there was no information on there from the Siebel Institute at all it was okay it was, uh, it was uh, about a page and a half email that Mr. Max sent us so gotcha gotcha okay well like I said I never tasted the original but this is fantastic <laughs> so thank you so how, how many batches have you guys done so far just the first batch or have you have you done a few as of right now, we're three or four batches in, okay. and I, you know, we're trying to brew this continuously and, uh, you know, ultimately we want to make it go national and global. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have a small brew house and we're just trying to get out as much as we can. And, uh, hopefully with, uh, the new distribution things that we, we have in the works, you know, it'll allow us to uh, do things in a bigger production facility so we can get the beer out to the people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In Arizona, um, I don't have much experience outside of just going into tap rooms, uh, you know, in California or Colorado. Uh, so my my involvement within the industry is only Arizona, so that's my only frame of reference. But Arizona does a really good job of um, utilizing craft beer as a, as a vehicle for messages, right? Whether it's water reclamation, whether it's, you know, uh, saving farmland, beer is a, is a great vehicle for that. So um, I, I assume, Mr. Mack, that that is – that is the goal is for this to be that vehicle for that, for that message, that broader message. Yeah. It's, it's a message that needs to be here for our time. Yeah. You know, my father was a man that matched the moment that he was in. And I believe that we were put together to match this moment yeah. to continue on a legacy of inclusion, a legacy of excellence because the beer was excellent and my father tried to do things in excellence. He said, I don't do things as uh, a black brewery. He said, this is a brewery. Yeah. When we owned an office supply company, we didn't win the, the bid for the Olympics. Then when it came to Atlanta, we weren't supplying them. 
because we were black, we were, well, we were, because we were one of the best blacks, but because we saw the opportunity, and soon as they announced, it's Atlanta, we made the call to the top. And he was like, the ink is not even dry. And we like, we know. <laughs> but it's too late if you wait for the ink to dry. And he respected that and gave us the business. Yeah. And so when everybody else was complaining that there were no black, uh, they're not using no black uh, vendors. They said our main vendor for office supplies is call office supplies. And that was us. Yeah. Because we went in there, we were aggressive, we went in there, and we did it in excellence. You know, I may come in and sell the product to you as a salesman, but when it's a big deal like that, I may be the one driving up in one of our trucks delivering it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because the other trucks are already out, but they said we need it same day. And I promised you that you would get it same day. So what am I supposed to do? wait for somebody else to do it. My dad wasn't like that. He said, boy, what did you say? They need in a day, get it done in a day. He wasn't getting in the truck. (laughs) (laughs) But it taught me, it drove me that I don't let obstacles stop me. I just look for the solution and go get it done. Mm -hmm. I had no training in sales when he first put me out there. There you go, go boy, go on, make it happen. I said, okay, because I saw the wild bull go out there and make it happen. And you knew what would happen if you you had you to talk back, right? You know, I I was scared of him until he was gone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, he just put something in me, a certain kind of fire. It's like when I landed, when I first went to Sacramento. And when I came back home to Atlanta, God told me, you're going to have to find a distributor. I, I didn't even land yet. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you got to find a distributor in Georgia. I didn't even land yet, man. And my kids, my, not my kid, one of them is away in college. One is here in college because they have college now at home. Uh, he's at the one that's at the University of Wisconsin is here at home, but he heard about slimming huskies. Oh my goodness! So he wanted some slimming huskies, but I said I have an assignment I got to do. But I'm gonna take the slimming huskies first. We landed, went to slimming huskies, got that pizza. He loved it. We went back last night. That was our Sunday meal, y'all. You know, <laughs> he said, I want some slimming huskies, so I had to go slimming huskies on Sunday. But uh, anyhow. I had to find that distributor. And I did, bro. Yeah. I found it. But you found it, right? It didn't, yeah. it, you, you had you had to put the effort in, right? It wasn't I like. Effort in. I yeah. talked to the guy. I, I shot the story out to him first, followed the words that, that were planted to me. Hey, it was like, boom. Yeah. He yeah. called up all excited. Oh, man, we, you know, we're going we gonna to have to do this. We have to do this. I, I heard, I saw your story. Oh, wow. I was like, yeah. Yeah. And he said, hey, he started giving ideas. He said, hey, we're in Tennessee too. We can help you in Tennessee. All right. Okay, yeah. cool. And then I passed it off to uh to um Kevin John. I yeah. said, there you go. Hey, you got it. Boom. Got an Arizona guy now too. You got it, you got to ah. connect in Arizona. 
Let's let's get the people's beer in Arizona, man. We've got some great breweries here. You know what? It's about us. Yeah. If you work together and build your community, you can do anything. Yeah. And this here, I know that my father's dream is going to come to pass. And it's not about just us. It was never about just him. It's about what we can do as a community to achieve something great. Yeah. Because it's always going to make it, it's going to take a team to make the dream work, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't try to do things by myself. I didn't even write this book that I wrote about my father by myself. I had all his all his uh, letters, all these news articles, and all this government stuff that I read through, and it just educated me more. And I, that I poured all that in the book. That was my references. Yeah. That was my, where I got all of it. Except That's the best piece, best references from, ever, though. Like yes. I, that is, you know, from the man himself. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And my life with him, and then reading his book. So I like, wow, okay, I'm gonna do this. You know. So, so um, I, I'm very excited about the project. I'm very thankful to you, Eric, for allowing us to be here today. Yeah. Um, this is a powerful thing, and um, it's not something that um, we're going to do by ourselves. It's going to take a, a team, yeah. but I do believe that we have the right family in place. Yeah. I do believe that uh, the right decisions are being made. And I feel comfortable with that. And the Mac family feels comfortable with that. And, um, you know, I, I'm very proud to um, be attached to something that has excellence attached to it with my father with the Mac name on it, you know? Yeah. Because to me, the Mac name needs, means something. Yeah. All my life, my dad told me that Max means something, brother. <laughs> And so I have to live up to that Mac name. I have to carry on and I have to teach it to my sons and, and my daughter to live up to the greatness that's within. And um, I'm very proud that we got together. I'm not proud where we are, but I'm more proud of where we're going. And it's going to be a good journey. I truly believe that. And so I thank you, Eric, for allowing us to yeah. uh, spend some time with you, bro. Uh, I'm honored to I'm honored to do this. And, and uh, I got one last question for you guys. Now this may open up a whole can of worms with Mr. <laughs> Mac, uh, but um, but it, it, I think it's something that, especially in this episode, ha- that, that we have to talk about is um, especially I don't say especially in Arizona, but. Um, the black population in, in Phoenix is, is very low. So the, the black ownership, black brewers in, in Arizona beer is, is very, very minimal. And, and you read articles from, from these big beer publications of lack of diversity in, in um, craft beer, right? It's, it's the bearded, you know, I, I see Jeff is kind of getting a beard there. I don't have the ability. So, you know, we're the, <laughs> but this is the end of it. It usually gets shaved right around here. So okay. as long as it gets, I'm just kind of lazy at times. And, Me and too. This is about the match. <laughs> My wife will let it get, uh, but, but how do you, um, 
what do you, how do you, what's, what are the steps to do that? To, I mean, first of all, this is a great first step. Right? I mean, I don't want to say first step, but this is a great step of this is the people's fear, right? This is, this is us. This is, this is people. Right. Um, right. What are your thoughts on, on that? Like the, the, or, or what are some, I guess, some action steps that, that people can do to kind of play their part? I guess, if that, I know that wasn't a real clear question, but I think I, you know where I'm going. Okay, one of one of the things that I would say is that everything was done in excellence. You can sell excellence anywhere. When people you always give people more than they expect. When you look at the can and you look at the design, that was perfect. That's beautiful. It is. Yeah. Okay. Then we open up and taste it. That is what it was. Yeah. Excellence again. And that's, you know, I have to give a hand to Jeff and Raj on that. But then when you hear the story, hopefully my part is excellent too. And so this is an American story that everybody can connect to because it's really about a man that would not quit when he had society against him. And when they thought they had the knee on the neck, 50 years later, it was revived. That's a dream that everyone has in their life. So all you got to do is talk to the nature of the human being, a good person who wants something for their children, that says, you know what? You can do it too. You know what? Don't give up. You know what this beer I'm drinking, this people's beer? Let me tell you the story about Ted Mack. You know what? A kid doesn't have to be black, but they may want to talk about a United States hero. And they had this story. And they may write this story of an American that didn't quit. And then it transcends race. But it doesn't transcend who we are as Americans, a country that's supposed to never quit. We, the people. So if you believe that and you speak that truth, that's how you grow this. That's how you grow this brand. This brand is it's, it's, it's already branded. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It already has a story behind it. You don't have to really create nothing new. My dad did all that. All I'm doing is using the technologies of today to, to achieve that which he dreamt about. Yeah. He was fighting to get in a couple more states. We were working on things that could get us in a multitude of states. Countries, even. Yeah, right? that countries. Yeah. yeah. Because he did go overseas, but it was it was a situation that um, it was Africa, and he eventually says they couldn't come here. He he being a wobble, <laughs> he went over there eventually. <laughs> but that's when they um, basically was a last leg of people's beer. But he went over there still. He would not give up, and they did offer him a brewery over there. But it was for him. I believe it was just a little too unstable for his family to be there. Sure. Yeah. And he wouldn't risk our lives for his dream. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
that was one bitter pill that he had to swallow and it hurt him. He wanted, at one point, he said he was driving home. And when he looked at that concrete wall, he said it was so easy to just pull the car and end it all. But he would not let those who tried to oppress him get that victory. And he fought on. Yeah. He opened a, not opened, he became an administrator of a hospital. It was a black hospital with black doctors, black nurses and all that. And he had a battle with the Blue Cross Blue Shield, again, the system fighting against him. But he won that battle. But he knew that wasn't his place. He already had a business plan for a chain of group homes called Crispus Addicts that helped empower people. Crispus Addicts being the first man who died in the Revolutionary War for this country. The first one who died fighting for this country. See, because my father knew who he was. He named Crispus Addicts after him. And that was a black man. Because he wanted to leave an example that the first one who died for America was black. Yeah. And that group home helped young black men get the foundation under them to be achieving life, achieving life. And it was a powerful tool. So he always thought about others. He always would start a business for the rest of his life because that's all he knew at that point. Not to work for somebody else, but to create jobs for someone else. It never got to the um, people's beer size after that, but he did his thing. Yeah, He fought his battles, and then he passed on the baton. And as the son, all I wanted to do is bring greatness to the legacy of my father and do it with excellence and do it with the team I believe in. I believe in the people at Oak Park. I believe I'm with the right group. Yeah. I believe I'm an asset to them and they're an asset to me. And I believe we're gonna win. And we're not gonna do it alone. And we're not just saying it's for one people. It's what the beer says. Yeah. It's people's beer. It's your beer. It's my beer. It's our beer. That's what we got here. There it is. Right there. You need to lean back. You knew it. Like, that's it. That's what I got, man. Up the can. Yes. The dead, beautiful man. And um, I've never, there, there's never been a beer that has a, a better story to it. A, 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 such a, such a deep story and such a, such a, I, I don't know. I say robust. I don't know if robust is the right word, but you, I think you guys know what I mean. Um, that yeah. I'm going to be shouting this from the rooftops, man. This is, wow, I mean, I, man. appreciate you, man. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is why I do what I do. It's to tell the stories. Like, I, I mean, obviously the, the liquid in the can is, is a bonus, right? Yeah. When it's fantastic. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm about the story, man. There's, there's so many great stories out there that, that are not being told. And like I said, for you guys to bring me in on this, I, uh, I'm very grateful. So 
Um, so yeah, when, when you guys need a Arizona, uh, production going on here, let me know and I'll, I'll connect you with some of our best. What are those ones down in Arizona that you like? Ah, oh, man. I mean, when it comes to, when it comes to loggers, um, pedal house, pedal house is one that is really, uh, cause it's, it's off of mill Avenue, which is ASU Arizona state, which is one of yeah. the biggest party schools, you know? Um, but right off of Mill Avenue, like the party street is Petal House Brewery. And it's, uh, they play like, um, you know, they play all the, the, uh, college football games, basketball games. So it's like a sports bar, but their right. brewer doc is one of the best in the country, man. This guy makes the best, like two style beers. Like it was a struggle for him to make a hazy because he's like, all right, I'm going to do a white IPA and we can kind of call it hazy, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, Pedal House, uh, really good lagers. Also, Tombstone makes really good lagers. Um, but, you know, it, it's people always ask, like, what is your favorite? I'm like, well, I like these people the best, but I like this location the best, but I like the way they make the, you know? So um, I, I'm sure if, if uh, you guys are interested in expanding into Arizona, we can we can talk and, and it's, it's find the right fit is what it sounds like is like find the, the right person and the right uh, brewery to, to help expand that message, you right. know? So um, yeah, man, there's, there's a lot of good places out here. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say at this point. I'm just, I'm so stoked. I want to drink another one of these, but it's yeah. only 1130. So <laughs> I got I to wait a little bit. Um, but uh, well, guys, thank you so much. I, I'll let you guys go. Um, I, uh, like I said, I really appreciate this and, Thank and you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I'll put this out, uh, early next week, probably. Um, and I'll keep you guys updated. So, um, okay. yeah. Was there anything else we missed? Anything else you guys wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Rod. Good. Well, if, if I can say like, yeah. just to chime in on your last question yeah. about yes. inclusion. So, uh, you know, when I got into craft beer about, 16 years ago, you know, there wasn't a lot of people of color. You know, I think Sacramento, we had like, what, three, four breweries? We had Hoppy. Yeah, yeah, we had less than 10 breweries in Sacramento, but my uh, buddy opened up a uh, uh, beer cafe, you know, so he specialized in the uh, Belgian-style beers. So just hanging out at that spot, I learned more about craft beer and uh, his business was a black-owned business. And, uh, you know, there were, there were more people of color popping into a spot. But the one thing that uh, stood out to me, it was like, it was inclusive. You know, it, everybody was welcome. You know, so I knew when I went there, I was going to sit down. I was going to have a really good beer. Nine times out of ten, I was probably going to meet somebody new and have a cool conversation either about beer or their life because, you know, Everybody has a story, and I'm always intrigued about people's journey. So uh, at that spot, Jeff and Becca, we got to shout out Becca, too. She's the third wheel to this brew team and this venture. So Jeff and Becca, they frequented that place, and uh, there was just a lot of people in the industry that I got around, which, you know, sparked me to go into, like, homebrewing. But, uh, you know, with that inclusion, man, it was beautiful. Like you get, it was, the name of the place was called Pangea. So when you had like all the different people and the different beers from around the world, 
it just made sense. So that's something that's always stuck with me with beer. You know, you got to, everybody's welcome. Yeah. You know, as long as you're not causing trouble, <laughs> everything's good because at the end of the day, it's just beer, you know, yeah. and uh, to have a conversation while drinking a really good beer, man, that's the best. Yeah. You know, so and uh, just to follow up on inclusion in the industry, you know, it's like most people, when you think about brewers, they don't think about me or guy, black people or, you know, other people of color. It's usually like the guys with the big beards, flannel jackets, like uh, what are those those goofy shirts? The, the old school work work mechanic. Oh, like, oh, like Carhartt cut or like. Yeah, yeah. Dickies. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, we got a lot of work to do. Uh, I'm definitely in a unique situation here in Sacramento, being probably the only black brewer in Northern California that I know of. Yeah. So I definitely have some work to do myself. And, Which is uh, crazy because Sacramento is probably one of the most diverse cities in the state of california let alone the country right i mean our diversity is yeah. insane here um and for him to be the one of the only ones in northern california that is you know it's insane that it's it is this way because like mr max said when his dad toured paps he was like i can count less than five people on my hands that when the population 30 40 percent african-american right so yeah. it should be an inclusive environment and I'll let you finish now. Sorry. Yeah, no, and that's, that's perfect. That's, that's, a great, that's a great segue to me going into this. So I'm going to speak from my heart. You guys know how that goes when I speak from my heart. So anything and everything's expected and unexpected. So, uh, you know, it's like, I'll use this for an example. You talk about inclusion and diversity. You know, I, I, I challenge everybody on this if anybody's watching look at your social media page does it look lopsided and does it has diversity you know when i see things like that i'm like that's how you live your life if it's lopsided that's how you live your life with me it's like man i give everybody a chance and it's like i'm gonna learn something from everybody but uh it's that's it's not in my heart to hate yeah. until i have a reason but a lot of people get caught up on hate. You have to learn hate. When we come into this world, we're pure and innocent. We don't know anything until you program us. Mm. You know, yeah. so I know with Jeff, myself, and Becca, we're all about the community and lifting everybody up and doing the right thing. And sometimes it's hard to do the right thing, but you got to do the right thing. There might be repercussions. But if you do the right thing, the payoff's going to be there in the end. You're going to get the end result that you want. So, uh, yeah, man, thank you for having us. Yeah. Definitely, let's stay connected. Maybe we can have you on our live stream. We'll keep you updated on people's. And uh, also what we're doing here at Oak Park, we got some really, really cool stuff coming up. Uh, we got something coming up in March. It's going to be an international you know, event for us. And, uh, you know, we can talk about that later, but, uh, thank you, Mr. Mac. Always a pleasure. Yes, thank <laughs> it's you, sir. like, Oh man, I can, I can listen to you all day. And today we got a lot to do. So we're yeah. like, oh, we gotta get out of here. Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Eric, Mr. Mac, Jeff, Rebecca, KJ, Dana, everybody, the staff at Oak Park. Thank you yeah. guys. Thank you guys.
Excellent. And cheers. And cheers to Ted Mac. Cheers to your dad. Yeah. For the, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The wild bull. That's right. Guys, thanks so much for checking that out. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you follow Oak, uh, Oak Park uh, Brewing Company on social media so you can get updates. I'd love to get people's beer here in Arizona. So let's make it happen. In the meantime, don't forget to check out Hopped Up Network. We are part of that network. It is a network of craft beer podcasts across the country. And we're proud to be a part of that. There are a lot of great craft beer podcasts across the country. And Hopped Up Network brings them all together in the same spot. Go to hoppedupnetwork.com check it out. Also, when you get to that page, make sure you stay awesome.